this morning, we're kicking off a, a new sermon series. We're going to spend a few weeks in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. And as we do, we're going to go back in history in the time of Israel. During, during this book, it covers about 250 years of their history. And it's a time where their kingdom is divided. What once was Israel is now divided into two with it, the kingdom of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And this book of 2 Kings, man, it is full of tragedies. Not, not only is the kingdom divided, but there's failure after failure of kings throughout the book. They fail to live faithfully. They fail to live wisely. And all throughout this time, nations are, are attacking and wars are raging. There's political division. There's social division. And people are turning away from the Lord God and turning towards lesser creator gods. And ultimately, at the end of the book, it tells the conquer and exile of the people. A tragic tale that has a lot of parallels for our world today. Yet, in the midst of it all, God does not fail his promises. In the midst of so much faithlessness, there's little glimpses of what faith looks like of what it looks like to hold on and live out faith in a turbulent time. And it's my prayer for this series over these next few weeks is that this will lead us to greater levels of faithfulness in our own lives. Because this isn't a book of all doom and gloom. It, it ends on a positive note. It ends with this glimmer of hope. Because it points us ultimately to the king who sits on the eternal throne. It points us to Jesus. And it's this King Jesus that I hope to point you to and towards every Sunday throughout this whole series. But it's in that political, volatile time that we step into today as we begin this series. And the series is called Faith During Faithlessness. And if I were to summarize the, the whole series, if I were to summarize it in just a couple words, it's that we are called to be transformers and not conformers. We are called to stand out because of our faith and not merge in with the culture around us. We are called to be change agents in our world through the power of the gospel. But today we want to look at two prophets and we want to start out on a positive note. You know, the, the lives of these, of these prophets play a prominent role throughout the book of Kings, both 1 Kings and 2 Kings. In the book of 1 Kings, we're introduced to this awesome prophet named Elijah. And Elijah now in 2 Kings, he's, he's ready to pass the baton. He's ready to hand off leadership to his disciple, to his, his uh, apprentice, Elisha. Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven in this whirlwind the scripture tells us about. And his ministry on earth is coming to a close. But before he does, he spends a little bit of time with his disciple Elisha. Now, just, just a side note. Before becoming um, Elijah's apprentice and before becoming a prophet, Elisha was a farmer. And 1 Kings tells us that when Elijah came along and called him to be, to be his disciple, to be his protege, to be a prophet, he was plowing in the fields at the time. And he had some wealth because it tells us that he was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen, 24 head of oxen. So I dug into that a little bit 
deeper. I wanted to find out what, you know, what, what that really entailed, what it meant. And I, and I learned that the Hebrew word for oxen can also be translated deer, as in John Deere. So, and, and I'm sure the biblical scholars completely missed that part when they were translating it. But I'm sure Elisha, he, he wasn't using just a little four-series small tractor. He had one of those nine-series four-wheel drive behemoth things that he was out on the field with. So I, I dug a little more deeper into, into the Hebrew, and I found out that Elisha was driving a 9R540 four-wheel drive tractor. And not just anyone, but it was powered with a 13.6 liter engine. It had auto track, it had Starfire 6000, and a Generation 4 display. Now, I'm not sure what all that means, but I do know you can go across the street and buy one. You know, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure the PhDs and Old Testament scholars just overlooked that part. But that, that's what Elisha was doing when Elijah came along and called him. So Elisha, he's, he literally uh, burns his plows, he sells the John Deere, and he, and he picks up this new calling in life to follow God as a prophet. So that's, that kind of brings us up to our text today in 2 Kings chapter 2. So it, it's near the end of Elijah's time. He's about to be taken up to heaven, but before he does, he spends some very intentional time with Elisha. Here's what we read in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Eli Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. <laughs> then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And, and he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan, the Jordan River. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. You know what? Elijah knew that it was his last day on earth, that his time was coming. And if you knew it was your last day, if you knew your time was up, what, what would you do? Where would you go? Who, who would you spend time with? What would your focus be? Well, Elijah spends time with Elisha, and as he does, he takes him on this road trip. You know, he, he takes this him on a journey, and as he does, it kind of illustrates for us what a discipleship journey looks like. He kind of lays out the cost of discipleship. And in this di discipleship journey, they, they remember the past, they take advantage of the present, and they prepare for the future. Because discipleship involves walking with one another. 
And as we do, we look back to the God of history as recorded for us in Scripture. We look around to see what God is doing in the present with the people that are in our lives. And we look forward to prepare for what God will do in the future. Well, first, discipleship includes remembering the past. Do you ever, like, take those road trips back to the place that you grew up? And, and, and you, uh, you, you end up going back and, and you take that trip down memory lane and you kind of recollect and recall the different places in your life that were important to you, that had special meaning or significance. You know, I, I do that to Dory every time we go back to Rochester, Minnesota. You know, we drive around and I point out that that's the house I grew up in. That's, there's the school I went to. This is the park that I played catch in. That's where I got my speeding ticket, you know. <laughs> On and on. We, I just kind of, I bring her down and share with her these significant locations in growing up. Well, Elijah takes Elisha on that kind of road trip. He takes him to these different historical places that had significant impact in the history of Israel. He, and as he does so, he really wants to kind of shake Elisha a little bit to, to test him to see if, if this calling as a follower of God, if this calling as a prophet is going to stick. And scholars believe that this, little, this, this road trip that they take is, you know, a test for Elisha to see if he will count the cost of discipleship. So they go to four locations. They, go, they start out at this place called Gilgal. They go to Bethel. They go to Jericho. And they end up at the Jordan River. And each place was significant in so many ways. Well, their journey starts out at this place called Gilgal. And Gilgal is a place of, of separation and new, new beginnings. When, when the Israelites first entered the promised land, they, they crossed the Jordan from east to west, and the first place they camped was Gilgal. And it was here that a new generation of Israelites committed themselves to the Lord. And Gilgal was also the place where God rolled away the past. You know, he said, all, all those failures that you had during the, your, your wilderness wanderings, all, all the times that you failed me, those are behind, and now new beginnings are, are in front. But Elijah wanted Elisha to remember that, that key history of, of part of Israel's background. Because he's, he's bringing his, his disciple, his protege, to this place and said, hey, this is a place of new beginnings for you. It's a place of, new, a place of separation because ultimately we're going to go our separate ways. It's a place of new beginnings for his new ministry. Now, this might seem like a theological leap here, but, but hang with me, because each of these locations that they go to, they're more than just a geographic spot. It's about the place, and it's about what they represented. It, it recalls for them what God did, what God can do, and what God is doing. So this place of separation, this place of new beginnings, this place that's called Gilgal, I think as churchgoers and as Christians today, so often we, we just want to live our lives at a place like Gilgal. We want to live our lives at, at the place of, of just the new beginnings. And, but by that I mean we, we stay there and we never grow in our faith. 
We, we, we never go beyond, you know, our, our new commitment to Jesus. We, we never separate ourselves from, say, our, our family. Our, let me, we, we never separate ourselves from maybe our, our family's faith and make it our own. We never move beyond being a spiritual infant. So like Elijah and Elisha, we need to commit ourselves to the journey. We need to commit ourselves to this discipleship journey that's moving from place to place, growth from growth. So that takes us to the next place in their road trip today. They go to Bethel. And Bethel is this place of transformation and God's presence. In fact, the word itself just means house of God. It symbolized God's presence. And if you were to to read a little bit in the Old Testament, you would see that the patriarchs of Israel, two of them, Abraham and Jacob, they both worshiped there at Bethel. And it was at Bethel that the patriarch Jacob had this vision and just saw the angels of God ascending and descending in a ladder to heaven. And he knew that that God was present in this place. And, And there Jacob vowed and committed himself to be obedient to God. And he was transformed by the presence of God in that place. And you know what? God's presence is here with us today. And his presence is transformative in our lives. You know, he sent his son to this earth for us. Jesus incarnate, God in the flesh. He took the initiative to come to us, and he has given us his Holy Spirit as believers. He is with us, and he desires that same transformation through his presence that took place in Jacob's life. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay where we are at. He wants us to move forward and become more and more like his son every day. But like Elijah is with Elisha, he's not going to force it. He's not going to make it happen. But he brings us to the place where God can work. Brings us to the place where God's transformative power can work in our lives. Well, from there, they journey on to a place called Jericho. And Jericho is a place of faith and victory. Jericho was the site of the first military battle and military victory as the Israelites entered into the promised land. But the whole point of Jericho was that the people didn't fight the battle. God did. And if, if you remember the story, the, all God told them to do was this crazy thing of march around the city seven times, seven days, and on the last time, they were to blow the trumpets And they were obedient, they did it, they blew the trumpets, and the walls come down. Just a reminder that God calls them to be obedient even when it doesn't always make sense. And Jericho reminded Elisha of this victory and the majesty of God who deserves the glory because it's all about him anyway. And from Jericho, they journey on to the Jordan River. And for For Elijah, the Jordan River was the place of finishing well. That river, it was a boundary uh, and a barrier to cross as the Israelites entered into the promised land. And this was a place where Elijah passes the baton of leadership, of being a prophet to Elisha. You know, and eventually, we're, in a sense, we're going to have to face our own Jordan River. 
the, the place where we take up the faith and run with it. The, the place where we have to make it our own. And for, for those of us who've been following Jesus for a while, it's also the place where we need to make the decision to finish well. So that when we come to, to the end of our journey, when we come to the end of our days, we can say, you know what? I followed Jesus to the very end, and I can hand off the baton. I can hand off my faith to the next generation. And when it comes to our turn, man, I hope and pray that we can all say, you know what? I've followed Jesus to the very end. And I've lived my life in such a way that, that I can identify those people that, that I've handed my faith off to, whether it's family men, their children, other people in your lives. And at each, each one of those locations, Elijah tries to shake Elisha loose. And it's, it's interesting because he says repeatedly, stay here while I go over here. And I love Elisha's reply. He's like, as long as you're alive... I'm not going anywhere. As long as you're living, I am not leaving you. So all throughout this journey, Elisha's like stuck to him like Velcro. So Elijah says stuff like, here, stay in this place of new beginnings. Stay here while I go to the place of transformation. And Elisha says, I will not leave you. And Elijah says, stay at this place of transformation while I go to the place of victory I will not leave you. And stay in this place of victory while I go to this, this place where I can finish well, and I will not leave you. See, Elisha's not going to be deterred. He's, he's not going to be, he's not going to lose sight of his purpose and his calling in life. He's not going to let go of his ministry for the sake of comfort. He's not going to let go of this uh, ultimate purpose that God has given him for any other purpose in life. And you know what? That's a great picture of discipleship. From, from new beginnings to transformation to victory all the way to finishing well. Every aspect, a part of that is in our discipleship journey. It's about sticking with it for the long haul, sticking with it to the very end. And discipleship is always keeping that long view in mind. Well, that leads us to the here and now, the present. Because discipleship also includes taking advantage of the present. And by that I mean uh, taking advantage in, in the positive sense of those people that God has put into your life right here and right now. To learn from them, to work alongside them. Because God has put people in, into our lives for a reason. I mean, we can look at all throughout Scripture and see examples of that. There's Moses working hand-in-hand hand with Aaron as they labor together. There's David uh, and his best friend Jonathan as they encouraged one another through a, that deep friendship. The Apostle Paul journeyed with at first Barnabas and, and later with Silas, and they did ministry together. You know, we are on this discipleship journey with one another. It's never meant to be the solo, I'm on my own thing. And we can learn from the people that God has put into our lives. You know, those are the Elijahs in our life. The spiritually mature men and, and women who we can look up to and learn from. God has put different Elijahs in, in my life, men who are patient with me, 
who taught me, who took time to live out their faith with me. These were not perfect men, but they were men who did their best to demonstrate their faith in, in real life. There are men like Ron, Ron who, who discipled me and, and showed me what that process looked like. Men like Mike, whom I l- learned the place of Bible study in my life. Men like Mark, who opened up the world of the Old Testament to me. Men like Paul, who showed me how to in- interpret culture through the lens of Scripture. Through, through Bob, I, lear- I fell in love with church history and how I could see Christ move throughout the ages. From John, I learned the place of personal humility and repentance in life. From Kurt, I learned the power of prayer and the place of world missions in the church. From Dean, I learned the spiritual disciplines, many of which I practice up until the day, to this day. You know, so who are the Elijahs in your life? Who are those people that God has put around you that say, you know, I can learn this or that from that person? Who are the Elijahs? But then also, who can you be an Elijah to? Who, who can you partner with? Who can you walk through life with to demonstrate what it means to be a Jesus follower? So take advantage of those present relationships that you have here and now in, in a positive way. You know, e- Elisha was not going to leave Elijah's side until the very end because he kept saying, I'm not going anywhere until you are ultimately taken from this earth. And when Elijah was taken up into a whirlwind of fire, Elisha was right there, saw the whole thing. And because Elisha stuck with him, he was prepared for his calling. He was prepared for the ministry to step into. And you know, one of the greatest gifts that we can give is a prepared servant of God to take our place. Well, one more thing to point out today. And that is discipleship is also about preparing for the future. So they come back to the Jordan River. They're standing standing at the water's edge. And here, here Elijah kind of, he hands it off to Elisha. So in verse 8 of 2 Kings 2, it says, Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what, you, what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And he says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And, and, in other words, he's saying, you know, b- because I am like your eldest son, uh, I want a double, a double inheritance. And then later in ver- verse 13, After Elijah's taken up, Elisha says, Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, struck the water with it, and he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it also divided to the right and left, and he crossed over. And then Catch what it says. The company of the prophets from Jericho who are watching said, the spirit of Elijah is now resting on Elisha. So 
Elisha's standing before the water, and he's got this choice to make. He says, I, I can take up what God has given me. I, I can take the mantle. I can take the baton that Elisha has handed me, this cloak, and I could either run with it or he could drop it. And he had this choice to make. And we, too, have a choice to make. When, when we're standing at the water in, in that sense saying, you know what, I can take up the faith that, that my parents have given me, I can take up the faith that I've learned throughout my life and I can either run with it or I could drop it. Well, Elisha chose to follow his mentor's lead. He divides the water just like his mentor did and he steps across. See, Elisha has counted the cost. He passed those tests and he continues into his, this calling as a prophet. You know, we all have a choice to make. When I was in early elementary, um, I stood on the edge of, the, of a pool and fa faced the water. My mom wanted me to learn how to swim, so she took me over to Mrs. Olson's house. Now, Mrs. Olson was old school swim teacher. You know, the, the words that come to mind when I think of her is battle axe. That just how she was. Man, she was like, you're going to learn to swim whether you like it or not. You know, and she had this men mentality of sink or swim, li literally. So she was trying to teach us kids how to do a whip kick, you know, on our backs. And I wasn't getting it, so <laughs> Mrs. Olson, she bungee corded my knees together, put me in the deep end and say, here you go. And it was sink or swim. And I learned how to do the whip kick because of, because of her. So fast forward a few years, a little later in elementary school, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the rec center in my hometown, and, and this rec center is pretty nice for the day. It had an Olympic-sized pool, and it also had springboards and Olympic-caliber height uh, diving platforms. And for whatever reason, the, the management of the rec center would open up those diving platforms during swim time, and us little kids, we'd scamper up to the top, and if you're brave enough, you'd jump off the high, end, the high uh, diving platforms. And I still remember go, going up there for the first time, looking down from that platform, and I'm thinking, that's a long way down. Well, I, I did make a descent as it were, as a descent back down the ladder the first couple of times. And after I was shamed enough by my buddies, I, I did go up and I did jump off, thankful all the way down for Mrs. Olson bungee cording my legs together. And I made it to the edge of the pool. And then fast forward a few more years, this time I'm, I'm 21 years old and I'm standing on, on the edge of, an, of another platform. This time it's in boot camp. And I'm fully clothed in, in, my, in my cami gear. I have a pack on my back, and I, I'm holding a rifle. And next to me is my loving, caring, nurturing drill instructor. And, he, and he's just he's asking me politely if I would be so inclined to, to jump off the platform. And in that soft, comforting voice that drill instructors are known for, he, he politely told me to jump off of his platform. Or, or maybe not. All I remember is him screaming at me to jump off, and I, I jumped off, and all the way down, I'm saying, thank you, Jesus, for Mrs. Olson, you know? <laughs> and I sank like a rock to the bottom, but I made it up, made it to the side of the pool, and didn't let go of my rifle the whole time. You know, lo looking back to those days of Mrs. Olson being in her pool, as tough as she was, she helped me to prepare for what was before me. 
She taught me to swim so I could, I could go to the local rec center. I could have fun. I passed the sw swim qualification phase in boot camp and, and survived it. And you know what? Discipleship is like that sometimes. You know, where we, where we walk through life and, and we look back into what God has done in our past. We look back to what God has done throughout history. And we look, look around to see what God is doing around the people in our lives and how, how our lives intersect with those people. And we look forward to how God just might be preparing us for ministry today, whatever that might be. That's that discipleship journey. And here's what I hope you can take away from today. Like Elisha, will you count the cost? Will, will you persist to the end? Will you step into the calling that Jesus has placed on your life? Are you willing to step into the water or jump into the water that Jesus is calling you to? And I pray that you respond with a resounding yes. Yes, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, I, I thank you for the example that Elijah and Elisha give us. I thank you how they just demonstrated what this discipleship journey looked like. So, Father, I pray that we can move through this journey from a place of new beginnings to transformation to a place of victory in our lives. And, Lord, help us to count the cost every step of the way, knowing that someday, too, we're going to stand before you. And, uh, God, I pray that you can say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. So thank you for giving us these role models like these prophets. Thank you for giving Jesus to us that makes it all possible. And Lord, just help us to live every day of our lives for him and for his glory. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.